everybody. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory. It's the mailbag edition. And news is sort of starting to filter in a little bit here. Training camp is well underway, and you guys brought it with some great questions, as you do every week. And here to help me answer those questions are my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina, Maddie Lane. Hello, my friend. Hello, Kent. I think news is a bit generous for what's going on, but that's okay. That's neither here nor there. I think the big news right now is we will at least see college football from three of the Power Five conferences, and that is something that we can all look forward to right now because I don't know about everybody else, but it was a long weekend. I'm itching for some real football news, some video, something come out of it. We still got about a month until any real football's played. It can't get here fast enough. Let's just speed run the rest of this podcast. What say you, Craig? Uh, yeah, no, that sounds great. Uh, I'm I'm ready for football. I'm I'm ready to get literally anything that's not completely edited and watered down by the team that's putting it out. That's not just a shot at the Chiefs. That's literally anybody right now. It would just be nice to i mean we we should be sitting at training camp right now we should be watching the team we should be giving our podcast listeners you know what we saw you know depth charts things that we saw who looked good what was winning what they were working on yada 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 we don't we we just don't have that right now two years ago the first time we realized that breland speaks is a nascar and could not turn right it's true (laughs) it's been a while I miss I miss training camp. I miss training camp with my pals too. Like that's just a great way for all of us to congregate and, and all that good stuff. And we don't get that. I'm lamenting it a little bit. I'm lamenting not being able to get my eyes on uh on these guys, finding out where Arian Springs is lined up. Uh <laughs> on his couch. On his couch. <laughs> he's collecting that XFL check. Oh, wait, he's probably not because they defunct. Uh, let's answer your questions. Uh, if you can, uh, you can just so you know, you can leave five star review questions. We'll answer those. You can email us at apnerdsquad at gmail.com. You can always ask those there. You can also do it on Twitter. And that's what we got today at Steven Yinger, who plays left tackle if the concussion lingers for Eric Fisher. I believe right now Mike Rimmers has stepped in at left tackle, and that should probably scare you a little bit. The last time he was at tackle, it was on the right side, but it did not go great for the Giants. I think a lot of people probably remember Mike Rimmers playing tackle in the Super Bowl for the Panthers against the Denver Broncos, and Von Miller also did not go particularly well. He's not very good at tackle, and then you're going to put him on the left side when I think he is mostly played on the right side in the NFL. I think it's a bad situation. Without having Lucas Niang on the roster, you don't really have a quality backup tackle that you feel confident in or think that there's like hope for to do well. Maybe Jackson Barton or Greg Sanat show up well throughout camp. You see Durant, even if they try him at tackle, they can overtake Mike Rimmers as that backup tackle spot, especially on the left side. But right now it's Rimmers and you're just hoping one of these young guys shows up enough through camp that they can be the next guy up. Because if you see Mike Rimmers at left tackle, you're looking at another borderline Cameron Irvin situation from last year. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And unfortunately, and I I don't mean this as uh, a reason for Lucas Niang to have not opted out or anything, but this would be kind of a dream scenario for the Chiefs, for Lucas Niang. Get him some first team reps. Get him those quality camp reps against some good competition in pads. 
get him as many cycles as possible, knowing that, you know, Eric Fisher's concussion hopefully is not going to linger and he's going to be back for the beginning of the year. One dark horse name other than the ones that uh, Maddie said there, Coleccio Simile played a very small amount of left tackle in Baltimore in an emergency. He's not exactly great at doing it, but, you know, push came to shove, they might kick him out and leave Mike Rimmers inside at guard where he's probably a little bit better. These statements aren't endorsements, by the way. These are just stating the (laughs) potential options that there are available uh, should something happen to Eric Fisher. It's not great. Not great. Uh, the Clan McLean asks, if Eric the Enemy was to give you a nickname or make a comment about you like he did about Pat in his competitive nature, what would it be? So here's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to have Maddie answer for Craig, Craig answer for Kent, which is me, and I'll answer for Maddie. So Maddie, give me what, – what is the nickname or the comment Eric ben- the Enemy would make about Craig Stout? I mean, Craig Stout has so many nicknames. I don't know if Eric Bieniemy could settle on one. Like, there's the big Renaissance man. There's just the Renaissance man before he went off to the mountains. There's Hollywood Hot, Barley Stunna. There's so many nicknames. I don't think Eric Bieniemy would go with any of them. I think he would just stick to comments. And you know what that comment would be? It would be... That's right. That's nothing. He has nothing to say because Craig Stout would leave the man speechless for the first time in his life because he is that... (laughs) fantastic of a person you i literally stole what i was going to use for kent swanson i hate you so much right now so eric b would call kent hollywood because he is the most famous of all of us this is not just craig stout spouting it people just walk up and like they, they hand kent dollars on the street because they're like man you look famous here take this money and it, it it's great i i think that he'd call him hollywood yeah eric Bieniemy would say something along these lines yeah, at the end of the day you want someone that's gonna come in that's gonna put in the work and you're gonna be sure that he's gonna put in the work and maddie lane he does a good job i thought i forgot that we were gonna get kent's <laughs> Terrible Eric Bieniemy Eric impression. <laughs> I'm just sad that Kent didn't call me quick. No, there's or nothing young. about you that's quick. But you put in the work. Yeah, Eric Bieniemy, like he's just like uh, he he's got like several words just put on like random shuffle, and he'll just throw them in there. He uses the words "be sure" like 16 times every time he talks. So, so why haven't we heard the words "competitive prick" together before? This weekend, this this that, was a that was a first. It's hey, that, you know what the 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 auto shuffle generator, uh, you know one one every million times, that comes out and it came out this week. We got I, lucky. I have I have heard Eric be enemy scream things at camp. We are getting lucky with the auto shuffle right now, you guys. <laughs> we, the man, it's, that's what's so that's what's so crazy about it is like the persona of Eric be enemy on the field, never, ever manifests itself when he's talking in a press conference. And it's frustrating because he is the most entertaining watch at practice. Watching Eric Bieniemy coach is a delight. Watching Eric Bieniemy in a press conference is just, he just, it's a string of cliches. And it's so frustrating because I, I want to listen to that man talk. 
but I want to listen to him talk without the mics on. Listen, get a running back to not to finish a rep, and you will hear him talk for a long time. <laughs> it's art. Everyone who's been to training camp knows what we're talking about. Actually, I think I heard no one's allowed at practice, and they're not letting anybody talk about anything, but I think I heard Eric Bieniemy earlier uh, this week in Kansas City just yelling at Clyde Edwards-Alaire for something all the way out here in Johnson County. Laytony44 asks, do you guys think the Kelsey contract was too long? Nah, I don't think so. I think the Chiefs have structured it in such a way that they can get out of it a couple years before the end of it. That would make him about 33. The contract takes him through when he's 35. If Kelsey starts to break down, which it doesn't look like he's going to, guys, we are still in peak Travis Kelsey, and he's coming off an offseason without an injury. I think we're going to get at least another two really good years out of Travis Kelsey before we start to see maybe a little bit of a downturn. He's still going to be a very, very good tight end at that point. So, no, I don't think it's too long. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think it's too long at all. And this isn't to say that Travis Kelsey's not a great athlete at tight end, but I don't think you see him rely purely on his athleticism anymore like he did early in his career. Like He's about as technical of a route runner as you have in the NFL at any position, not just tight end, but this includes wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, anybody. Like He's very good at the nuances of football. Guys like that can play for quite a while. Look at Jason Witten, who is still employed in the NFL even after a brief break. Like He's got plenty of time. Now, will he continuously be this top one, two, three producing tight end for the whole life of the contract? No, maybe not. But the Chiefs, like Craig said, left themselves some outs in there. He's a guy that as long as you get two, three more years of this kind of performance out of him, you probably feel pretty good too about paying him past that elite production, pretty high money as well. He'll likely restructure at some point in time or get extended an extra year to lower it. It's just There's a lot they can do with it, and I think you're still going to look in a couple years of just elite production out of him, so there's no, nothing to worry about. 100% agree. I was going to come here and say, I think, I think Travis Kelsey's game, game is going to age well. Uh, because I do think you know he he is relying a lot on his ability as an outstanding route runner, and Matty, you're right. I mean, there's just not many guys you can. I watch watch that man versus Lonnie Johnson. Who he was that was like I, I, my favorite moment. One of my favorite moments of the 2019 season. We don't talk about is when Lonnie Johnson or when, when Travis Kelsey drew a flag on Lonnie Johnson, and then was like. Like Lonnie was upset asking for a flag, and then Travis Kelsey kind of fake asked for a flag too. It was like, where is it? Where is it? I don't know. Where is it, Lonnie? That was like one of my favorite moments. We gotta go find. I'm gonna I'm gonna clip it up. But like it was just a masterclass from Travis Kelsey as a route runner. Just ev- eviscerating Lonnie Johnson, who deserved every single moment. I'm about to rant if I'm not careful. I'm gonna I gotta slow down. That punk Lonnie Johnson. Caught a thick L. You got like cut like six L's that night. It was delicious. It was beautiful to watch. Why am I getting so upset about? I don't know. Lonnie Johnson's a punk. He's a tryhard. Who he's a punking. He's a punk you in are training still camp. Going. He's at, out here trying to hurt people. Man, Kent has some real vitriol for a rookie that played in the playoffs last year for the Houston Texans that drew the assignment of a solo man covering the best tight end in the NFL. He did poorly at it, but Kent just has some hostility built up for this poor man whose life was already ruined on national television. 
He was hurting people in training camp. Like he's just he was just a punk. He was making Matt, I think he was Matt making House people. liked him. Huh? Matt, Matt House liked him a lot. So much that they drafted him. Oh wait. They did it. Maybe that maybe they were going to. I, Texas beat him to the punch. I doubt it. <laughs> Jay Doobie nineteen. Different different tone here. What are your expectations for Alex Smith now that he's returning from the PUP? Um so yeah, I I watching watching Alex Smith celebrate with his family was genuinely just such a remarkable moment. And getting to see him in a helmet, practicing, throwing the ball, getting reps was just I honestly the, the fact that he's got to this point. It's just it's so cool to see. Honestly, I, I was very moved watching some of that yesterday. I think people should keep their expectations low. And this is not me trying to doubt Alex Smith or hate on Alex Smith in any way, shape, or form. But even watching him celebrate with his family, I was a little uncomfortable watching him move. And I just, I worry, you know, I, hey, you know what? I saw some people say, I think, I think his wife said, this is his story. This is his, his life. This is how he wants to do it. By all means, Alex, I hope everything, I, I hope you get back on an NFL field. I hope you play. I just hope, I hope, it's in the best interest of his health. I worry about him a little bit, but I think it's so cool and the story's phenomenal. I don't think there's a single person in the world that doesn't like or isn't rooting for Alex Smith. He's a great story. He's a great person. Everything about him is phenomenal. It's great that he's worked his way so incredibly hard. I mean, we all kind of watched the documentary and I'm sure that's just scratching the surface of what he had to go through. And he's back. He's able to move around like a person again now. He has now been cleared by his own doctors and by team doctors to return to football. I just hope he doesn't. He, just watching him walk around the driveway, like he looks like a person that has suffered a severe leg injury and is still trying to figure out how to cope with it. And now you're going to attempt to put him on a football field with other people trying to tackle him, hit him, and chase him around. I just, I can't sign up for that. Like, I like him too much as a person. I do think it would just be incredibly dangerous. Obviously, people that know a lot more than me have cleared him for these activities. So if this is what he wants to do, go for it. I just, I can't watch because just watching him celebrate with his family on the driveway, he did not look like he could even just walk the same way he did before, putting other people around him trying to hit him. It would just scare me for him because of how dangerous it was last time when things went poorly. I love Alex Smith. I want Alex Smith to take a football field because that's what Alex Smith wants to do. I don't care if he goes out there, he throws three interceptions, goes 0 for 7, and the Washington football team loses a game because of him because I will still gladly watch that. Alex Smith deserves everything that he he can get out of all of this. Yes, I understand the worry. Yes, I saw the video as well. I also saw him throwing today, the video that the Washington football team put out there. I thought that he actually looked a lot better in those videos than he did in the celebration videos. We will see. Certainly, the Washington football team is going to do a good enough job before putting him on the field. Let's hope they're not all idiots in that organization and they're not going to risk the health of somebody like that so with that in mind get alex out there I'm, i want to see it i want to see him take another snap even if it's just a, a snap that does nothing on the field i think that he's he's just earned that and i want to see that for him 
This one made me laugh a little bit. Clint McKenzie won. I have noticed that your collective tone has changed in recent years when discussing Dave Tobe. It has changed from great respect, almost reverence, for his special team's abilities to what I perceive as grudging tolerance for him. <laughs> Am I correct? If so, why? Thank you very much. That is a phenomenal question. Um, Clint? You're not wrong about the grudging tolerance, but that doesn't mean that we don't think that Dave Tobe is an excellent special teams coach. He is. He really is an excellent special teams coach. I don't think any of us think, and maybe these guys will prove me wrong, but I don't think any of us think that Dave Tobe isn't a phenomenal special teams coach. Dave Tobe just gets way too much say in what this ha- what this roster does. The guys that he puts on it, the guys that he gets to keep when some other positions that could maybe contribute in a bigger way in offense or defense that are, frankly, this this pains me to say, being as the newly appointed special teams analyst for Arrowhead <laughs> Pride. God, you're so good at that, too. More so good. important than special teams, he just gets to keep a lot of dudes that that we wouldn't keep if we were doing a roster construction thing. But Dave Tobe himself is a phenomenal special teams coordinator. Here's my problem. I don't know if my tone's changed a lot. I think maybe my opinions on him weren't as clear before. It's definitely gotten worse over the time. How good of a special teams coach is Dave Tobe? Because everyone's going to sit here and say good, and all I see is a guy that gets to dedicate like of 25% of the roster to just special teams. Yeah, your special teams unit better be performing pretty darn good when you get 10 times the say of every other special teams coordinator in the entire NFL. Like He gets almost double-digit guys that do nothing but play special teams, and he gets to lock them on the roster when if you put them on the actual defense or offense, they are going to be huge net negatives like I don't understand how he's seen as the best special teams coach in the NFL right now or one of them when when has he ever taken a subpar unit and elevated it he gets these freaky fast guys that are great returners in college plugs them into the NFL and guess what they're still freaky fast great returners I don't know how much of that is Dave Tobe's special teams coordinating and how much of that is the fact that he says hey give me the worst receiver because he can return kicks guys (laughs) Harrison Butker. Uh, that's that's my entire response to that, Maddie. Harrison Butker. So your rationale is that our kicker got hurt and we had to find one off a cut heap? And he found the one. That's that's right, Maddie. <laughs> uh yeah, it's just it's all about just how much influence he has. And I think a lot of <laughs> that's really what it is. I mean, that's just like if you boil it all down to that, it's just like Anthony Sherman, they are not moving on from Anthony Sherman again. Anthony Sherman's a four core special teams player. There's you know, there's sometimes a lack of ceiling players that the Chiefs keep that could potentially contribute to their defense or their offense at times. That because they need to make sure that Dorian O'Daniel has a spot on the roster. Or, you know, Armani Watts is probably gonna make the roster this year, even though he's not rosterable on defense. Uh that these are the realities. So when we look at roster construction and our guesses, like Marcus Kemp stretched his career out. How long was he in the league? For two years? He stretched his career out two years longer than he could have or should have. Derek Dieter probably too. Uh, Doyle asks, who do you think might be a surprise to make the roster? 
I don't know how much of a surprise it is anymore, but Nick Kaiser at tight end seems like he's getting a fair amount of run with the ones. Now, Deion Yeldler is hurt, but he seems to be playing the second tight end with Travis Kelsey for the first team offense. He's even made a couple different highlight videos. Granted, one of them was a fumble, but he's made a couple different highlight videos for the Chiefs. So it just seems like in camp, he's at least getting his chance to showcase that he's a guy worthy of making the roster. I do think he's probably the best blocker beyond Travis Kelsey, and then you want a good blocker to be in line after him. So I think he makes a lot of sense, and he just seems to be getting the work right now while the Deion Yelder's out. I also find it interesting that the Chiefs went ahead and signed a free agent tight end this just today. That makes me think that Deion Yelder might not be ready to come back super soon, which just opens it up even more for Nick Kaiser. Yeah, I'm looking ahead a little bit, so I'm not going to use one of the ones from a future question here. Uh, I'm going to go with Jackson Barton. I had him making my offensive lineman 53 when we did the preview a little while back. I think with Lucas Niang's opt-out and Mitchell Schwartz, or not Mitchell Schwartz, but Eric Fisher's concussion, I think that maybe Jackson Barton might just be kept just because he's a pure tackle. And they practice squatted him all last year. He's been in the building for a full year now. I don't think that he's a guy they want to let go of. And I think that they're going to keep him around. So I would fully expect him to make the roster at this point. When uh, when camp is on lockdown and there's really no information being allowed to be disseminated to out throughout the uh, the Chiefs Twitter sphere, when we're just kind of on lockdown, you have to look into everything you possibly can. So yeah, you know, you know, we'll talk about Jody Fortson here in a little bit. Uh, but one of the things that you got, like I like to do, I like to see who the Chiefs are profiling in all their daily photos. And it looks like Rodney Clemens might be getting a little bit more love in the photos. And that's a place to start. You got to look into every little piece of information you can when there isn't any. Rodney Clemens is getting a little love, and he just happens to be at the thinnest position, I think, on this roster. And if Armani Watts, if, if Rodney Clemens can be a special teams contributor the way Armani Watts can, he probably can football better than Armani. I just want to stick out there since you're looking at people that are people and things that are featured in the photos. Everybody take a look at those photos and look at Eric Fisher's gut oh for a second. It's not, it's not great. My man normally shows up in a camp in phenomenal shape. Uh, this year... Not 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 ideal. Now he's gonna be fine. He's a tackle. It's fine. There's but a, I, yeah. I don't know. There's a picture <laughs> of him blocking and the belly is hanging over the pants. Like it's a back view and it's not supposed to be look it it looked rough. But hey, you know who looks good? Breland speaks. And we're gonna he talk does. about him here in a few minutes and we're gonna take a break and we'll talk more about that right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else. 
and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, continuing your questions from Twitter, Chief Lutz11 asks, which position as it stands now is your most concerned? I am not going to take the low-hanging fruit. I'm going to go with linebacker. Um, we just haven't heard a whole lot out of Willie Gay right now. I He could be doing phenomenally, and maybe that's why we haven't heard anything out of Willie Gay right now. So I, I still think that that position needs a lot of talent. It needs a lot of athleticism. Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson, and Willie Gay should be your starters. But then after that, it just kind of falls off a big cliff here. I, I'm worried about what happens if there's an injury. I'm worried what happens if somebody didn't pick up the playbook. Willie Gay, if he didn't pick up the playbook quickly, then we're back with the lack of athleticism that the Chiefs saw last year. So that worries me. So like the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't recognize cornerback as a position in football. So I'm not going to choose it. I'm going to go with offensive tackle. And actually, I was going to bring up Eric Fisher's weight gain if it hadn't gotten brought up already here. But we talked about at the top, the offensive tackle depth is non-existent for this team. Eric Fisher is currently dealing with a concussion. He was injured last year. The last time we saw him play real football, it was one of the worst games I've ever seen from an offensive tackle. And granted, it wasn't all his fault. It's not like he was playing terribly. He just could not handle young Bosa. So now you're coming back into this year, you show up incredibly overweight compared to your normal weight. I don't know if this is something that was planned by the Chiefs. I mean, we've talked a little bit about how maybe the Chiefs are trying to get their offensive linemen a little bit bigger, a little bit stouter, stronger, care less about how good they are in space because we're not running 13 screens a game. So it's possible that they were told that they can show up a little bit heavier this year. But after Eric Fisher... After Mitchell Schwartz, I don't feel good about what's behind them. And from the little bit of information we have right now, I'm a little worried that Eric Fisher is going to regress back to what he was three, four years ago, a little out of shape, not ready for the start of the season. You know, he's had a couple injuries now that are starting to pop, pile on up. Concussions can linger throughout the whole season. I don't like what's behind him. If you lose Fisher, if you lose Schwartz for any extended period of time, that's a rough situation for an offensive lineman that's already not very strong. Yeah, cornerback's low-hanging fruit. I'm going to try to get creative. Um, I worry about the X position specifically because if Sammy Watkins is hurt, there's no one that can really do it. Byron Pringle's, like, i I big Byron Pringle fan here. I like Byron Pringle. Not as big as Matt Lane. I am still worried about the X position because there's not a ton of dudes out there that can play the X position. And McCole Hardman cannot do it. That is not his game, and that's not knocking McCole Hardman. You want him playing in the slot, off the line of scrimmage, free releases, running fast, down the field. That's his biggest strength. His biggest strength is not changing directions. It's not breaking off a comeback. It's not running a dig. It's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's fast. Being fast, being off the line of scrimmage. That's a really difficult position to replace. Then you then have to lean on Travis Kelsey playing in that Y ISO look a lot more. You become more predictable. Uh, De- Demarcus Robinson, maybe, you know, he, he can play a little bit of X, but I'm not excited about it. Uh, I'm worried about the X position. Sammy Watkins is sneaky valuable. And next year when they move on, 
from Sammy Watkins, or if they move on from Sammy Watkins, they're going to be looking for an X. They need the X type. So it's not just going away with Sammy Watkins and all of a sudden, like they have to figure out the X position. Uh, and that's why I like Sammy Watkins so much is because he's versatile and he's so he's capable of playing the X, but he lines up in those bunch sets great. Uh, he looks great there. Um, he can line up about everywhere you want him to. So um, I, he, I, he's a valuable football player. Captain Denny asks, who would you be more surprised at making the 53-man roster? Breland Speaks or Jody Fortson? My have the times changed. <laughs> um, I'm. Let's let's just say this is a, a an educated guess here. I think Breland Speaks is making this football team. I think there is some uh, excitement about how he has looked so far. With his, with his, like how slim he is. I mean, it's literally how he looks. <laughs> he looks great. He's in the best shape of his life. I know that's a phrase that gets thrown around, but he looks to be in the best shape of his life. I think he's making this football team. I know Jody Fortson is impressing, but unless he is a guy that's creating consistent separation, he's always just going to be a catch point guy. And how often is Pat Mahomes just throwing catch point guys the ball? I mean, Kelvin Benjamin got one back shoulder fade before <laughs> before he got tired and retired. Um, I would be, I'd still be surprised if Jody Fortson makes this football team. Jody Fortson is in a battle with Ricky Seals Jones as guys that are not quite athletic enough to separate at wide receiver but are big red zone targets. And yeah, you know, one maybe lines up a little closer to the center of the field, but I mean, not really. I think if you if either one of those guys make the roster, it's very specifically for the red zone. I think they're competing with one another, and I'm not sure either make the roster. Breland speaks, I feel pretty confident saying he will make the roster, whether he's going to play defensive end, defensive tackle, probably not with, you know, the way he looks. But let's take the sidetrack down this. Breland speaks looks great. He might be impressive at camp. We don't really know at this point in time, but he looks really good. The issue is, and this has been my problem with Breland Speak since the moment we drafted him, he gives you 80 to 85% of what you want, and then the rest of it's just not there. Breland Speaks comes in looking real good. He looks slim. He looks trim. He's in the best shape of his life. He then tells you that he got there just by running with an old trainer that he had when he was younger. Like, I don't need my 280-pound defensive end running a marathon. I want to hear about how you're getting more explosive, how you're working on your bend, how you're trying to get better in a way that helps you play your position. Like awesome that you worked really hard to get your weight down from what it was last year. You're putting in a ton more work now, but let's maybe not just run to get there. And it's like any excitement that I had for Breland Speaks transformation just from where he was last year to now kind of goes away when he just said that he did it by running a bunch. Like I don't need to hear him run a bunch. I need him to try to translate to that football field. I can't wait to see Breland Speaks because I think some people are expecting a huge year from him. I just need a reason to think that he's going to have it. But he definitely makes a team before Fortson does. Yeah, you can go ahead and sweep it with that. But just to touch on that a little bit, for those who aren't aware, Breland Speaks met with the media on Sunday and specified that the reason for his weight gain is that he went back to his 7th grade trainer and his 7th grade trainer had him running. You mean and weight running, loss? Running 
and running and running, resulting in a significant weight loss. That's not necessarily now. We don't know the full training regiment. I don't. I don't want to pretend to know the full training regiment, but that's what he said, and that was the reason behind all the weight loss. And he doubled that down on it. He mentioned it he, twice that it was just a lot of running. Correct. He did say it was a lot of running. That doesn't improve his flexibility. That doesn't improve his explosion. That doesn't improve a lot of the things that we maybe have a problem with. I never had a problem with Breathing Speaks' motor. That was his best attribute. He could go all day long at 300 pounds. Now he's cutting, slimming down. He looks great. Maybe he'll be able to go a little bit faster, move a little bit faster, but that doesn't fix his flexibility necessarily. That doesn't fix that explosion. That doesn't fix some of the things that were the reason why we wanted him to play inside as a defensive tackle where we felt he could thrive. So it, I do think he's going to make, make the roster. I do think it's going to be a defensive end, and that's a big change from where I was three months ago. But One month ago. One month ago. <laughs> Two weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. But I just I just worry about all of this. Did he just lose weight to lose weight? Did did he go back to a coach that maybe wasn't looking at the defensive end position specifically and he just ended up losing a lot of weight and maybe that's going to adversely affect him because he's not going to be able to set an edge or play with as much power as he has in the past. Chief Boy RDG, if Garrick Dieter makes the 53-man roster, it seems like he'll take a spot from a relative unknown young player. What player not making the cut because of Dieter taking the spot will make you the most upset or disappointed? Byron Pringle, because Byron Pringle does everything Garrick Dieter does, just better. He's also good on special teams like Gary Dieter. He can actually receiver. He seems to know more than one receiver position based on the limited reps that we've seen. I don't see any reason that you would keep Gary Dieter over Byron Pringle. I could not tell you one thing that I have seen on the field that he does better. Now, you want to tell me that Gary Dieter knows the playbook better, he knows his assignments a little better? Maybe. I can't answer that question for you whatsoever, but we're talking about keeping a guy that's got a very limited upside and you're cutting a player like Byron Pringle who's flashed the ability to be useful at the NFL level on offense and has made plays on special teams. You're losing a, a two-way player, you know, your core special teams player that way anyway. Keep the better guy on offense that can maybe fill in if you need to. They can also play special teams. Yeah, I I would be upset at Byron Pringle. I I would be upset at Justice Shelton Mosley, honestly, right now. He he is a guy that the Chiefs, I think, are a little bit higher on us or on than the rest of us. Dave Tobe is. Dave Tobe is because Andy, I think, told Dave Tobe, we're going to use McCall Hardman a little more on offense. And so you're not going to get him for every return. And by the way, you get approximately eight Tyreek Hill returns on the season. So <laughs> you better make sure that you use those wisely. Justice Shelton Mosley is a good returner. Punt returner and kick returner. He can gunner a little bit. He is a he is truly a four-core special teamer. If you are going to keep a guy just for that purpose, I think he is an impact punt returner and impact kick returner i think that that makes a bigger difference in the overall you know roster construction than garrick dieter who does know the playbook and can contribute on offense but i think you're going to get a season long of justice sheldon mosley see we advocate for special teams players sometimes around here on the laboratory you're damn right uh let's just say it's cut down day and i see that the chiefs have 
waved Damone Harris and kept Garrick Dieter just on its face, I'm going to be upset. Because, like, uh, Damone Harris, like, I don't think he's just a world beater or anything, but he's a, he's a rotational NFL defensive end. I, I think I saw enough from him to say, like, he is a rotational player in this in this league, and I don't see Garrick Dieter as a rotational player in this league. So uh, I like Damone Harris. They could have him under club control for another couple years if they keep him around, and defensive end depth is going to be a big deal. Now, that's just kind of looking on, on its face because there is number crunches at these positions. The Chiefs have a lot of options at defensive end that in you know, a lot of decisions they're going to have to make. Uh, I would, I'd be upset to see you know Damone Harris gone because the Chiefs kept Garrett Dieter. It wouldn't be an apples-to-apples apples comparison. Generally speaking, are we just upset if they keep Garrett Dieter? Like, is there act, is there any chance that they could keep Dieter and there would be nobody cut that would be we would rather have over him? Eh. I mean, I'm not going to get that upset about number 53 or number 52. I'm honestly uh, not. I don't know. I he's in that there's probably some value to knowing the offense, you know, and having good rapport and good chemistry with with the quarterback, which he has. Can Dieter and, play X? And Dieter can play a little X. I think he's probably, yeah, okay. I mean, I think he's best inside. I think so too. But maybe not in this offense. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, he's a weird fit. Well, no, he's I just, because I agree with you that I'd rather have Demoni Harris. I don't know how upset I would be if Demoni Harris doesn't make it and Garrett Geeter does, but that's what sparked the question is like, we're kind of talking about guys that are already on the bubble. So like, I don't think there's a chance that Garrett Dieter makes the 53 that any of us would have. I don't think either any of us have Garrett Dieter as a top 60 player on the Chiefs roster right now. So it's just like, at what point does it go from just not making it to being upset? Yeah. No, I, I, it's it's a tough question. Um, uh, d- frustration, disappointment's relative. It's all relative, let's yeah. just be honest. Wes Burns asks, over, under... 80 targets for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Under, but not by much. I I think Clyde's going to get a ton of targets in this offense. I think we're already seeing it. Like People were talking about how when they were doing some drills that Clyde wasn't staying in to pass pro. Like They were flexing him out a lot, and he was running with the wide receivers for some of the routes and everything like that. That's good. They are seeing, you know, the development of him as a receiver in Andy Reid's offense already. I think he's going to get a lot of targets. I just don't know that 80 is feasible for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. 80 is a lot for a team that has Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins if he's healthy, McCall Hardman. You're going to get some other targets to other receivers. That's just a lot of targets for a running back or just for any player coming at the, you know, the end of the pecking order here. So I'm going to have to go with the under. I think he'll be very impactful for it. I think he's going to change a lot of games just by the threat of him coming out of there. But 80 targets, I just don't see a chance for him to get that high given all the other weapons on the offense right now. Yeah, that one's tough. Um, I don't think he's going to get 80. Um, I think if you set the line at 70, I'd think about it. Um, I think I think Kareem Hunt, his, his rookie year, got 63 targets. Mm-hmm. I could see somewhere around there. I could actually, I actually think he's going to get a few more than that. But I think 80 is tough. 70 ish. I'm probably there, frankly. Uh, and Rebarcheck. When should the Chiefs draft Kelsey's Travis Kelsey's replacement? Does his new contract change that? What does this upcoming tight end class look like? 
So I think Travis Kelsey's contract, the length of it, kind of means that you're not going to be hard looking for a tight end in this upcoming draft. I wouldn't be upset if somebody like Pat Fryermouth or Kyle Pitts fell to the Chiefs at 32. I don't think they will, but like especially with Pitts, I'm not sure exactly how you're going to work in him and Kelsey for the next three to four years, and then you're kind of coming up to the point to where you're having to pay both of them at the same time. It's just a big investment right now for another tight end that's clearly going to be your tight end too. So I think you're probably another year or two away. And I have no problem overlapping an early, even round one draft pick at tight end with Travis Kelsey for a couple years. It's just this length of contract makes you think the Chiefs believe Kelsey will be around for a while, unless you're getting a guy that you also feel very good about being a quality blocker for a while that might develop into a Travis Kelsey left level receiver. I just don't see the urge this particular season for the draft class for the draft. This tight end draft class, however, though, very, very good. The two guys off the top, I think are clear cut above the rest of them, but you have your choice of big guys that can block, maybe be a little bit of a red zone target. Some other guys that are more yards after the catch type tight ends with Brevin Jordan out of Miami. Like it's a really good tight end class. I was really excited for the Chiefs to potentially look there. Just this Kelsey contract's going deep enough with enough money that I think they're going to shy away and go towards other bigger needs this year. Travis Kelsey played 92% of the snaps of the Chiefs offense last year. That is an insane amount. This is not a wow. situation where you dre- you could like address a move tight end in this next year's class and then try and soften the the workload for Travis Kelsey. Maybe that would happen. You'd have to have him agree to it, and you'd have to be a stark change from what's going on. Blake Bell did get 40% of the snaps last year blocking. And so you would probably need a blocking tight end. That's probably where you're looking. That's not what you're drafting Travis Kelsey's replacement to do. You're drafting him to be a move tight end. So I don't think that with the new contract that that means that they're going to be addressing that anytime soon, but we'll see. Derek Vreeland asks, what new wrinkles to the offense do you see Andy Reid adding this season specifically with the addition of Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Bubble screens, two back sets, or what? Um, Well, I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire in some ways is the wrinkle. (laughs) Um, I do think they're probably going to run maybe a little bit more inside zone this year, um, more inside runs, period. I think that that is something just we've been talking a lot about this with, with O-line construction, the way they operate, the the, the sheer size and strength. You're, you're not getting those great movers across the line these days. Um, so I do think you know that's that's going to be something. I, I think they're going to... Maybe it's even a wrinkle, but like this has been talked about a little bit. But we probably need to remind people: like getting Clyde Edwards Alaire on the field completely eliminates your ability to under like to have tendencies. Mm-hmm. Like, that's an invaluable little. You want to call it a wrinkle? Just the fact that Clyde Edwards Alaire is going to be on the field at all times is invaluable uh, because you can't. You're not tipping teams off on on what's happening and when it's happening. So um, if Clyde Edwards Alaire can stay on the field at all times. The, the, things are going <laughs> to there's so many possibilities to this. I do think that they'll get him out of the backfield a lot. I think they'll probably he'll run a more complex route tree than than what the Chiefs asked. I mean, I think he he did things that three different backs were capable of doing. So like he ran like I I did an article earlier this year. It's like you know, Clyde can do all the things they asked LaShawn McCoy, Damian Williams and Darwin Thompson to do separately. That's massive. That's huge. 
And uh, I, I think a lot of the tweaks are going to be just about Clyde, I think, largely. I, mean, I agree with Kent. I think your biggest changes are going to be the fact that when you trot Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out there, the defense doesn't know if it's a run. They don't know if it's a pass. They don't know if it is a run that's going to be outside zone because that's all your running back can do. Like, There's a lot more mystery to what the Chiefs offense is going to have when he's out there. So I think that in itself is the most important aspect. Then you add in the receiving ability. I mean, you're going to see, I think, more running backs up the seams. We saw a lot of, we see a lot of wheel routes with Andy Reid. I think they're going to be more effective with Clyde Odertillaire, but I think you'll get a few more seam routes. Like I think Daryl Williams caught one this season, but if not, he definitely did two years ago. I think you'll get a few more of those. You're going to get a lot of Texas or angle routes over the middle of the field. These are all things that are already in there. I just think they're going to be a lot more effective with Clyde Odertillaire. One new wrinkle that I think we will see the Chiefs love their three-by-one set with the deep overs and the vertical route and everything. Later in the year, as teams started adjusting to that, one change the Chiefs made, they would shift the running back over to the three-wide receiver side. That essentially made it four-by-one. It messes with a lot of rules. But if you're just running Darwin Thompson out into the flat, no one's going to respect that after a while. They're just going to expect you to be able to make that tackle in space. One, you can't do that to Clyde Odetelaire. He's going to make you miss in space a ton. But two, you can put a you can tag a real route onto him from that four by one set. He comes off a little bit delayed. You have all these other fast receivers clearing a bunch of space with these deep over routes and vertical routes. That's just leaving a lot of room for him on option routes. You know, going out whether you want to cut it back in the middle. I think you're going to see a lot of those three by ones just with Clyde Edwards Hilaire off to that three wide receiver side and give him a lot of space to work in the passing game. My memory might be a little hazy, but didn't they do that against the Chargers the second time around? Yes. Or the first yeah. time. It's the first no, it's the first time too. The second With, time especially because they were they were playing the the coverage, they were taking away the deep overs and they started about three or four times in that game. They shifted it over and they just missed a wheel route, I believe, to Damien Williams, but it could have been somebody else, but they just missed a wheel route touchdown on it. And but they sent him on a wheel route off of that three by one with the offset to that same side, and it's there. It's something they're going to do, and I think you're going to see it a lot more with Clyde this year. I think they did something like that with Shady in the flat the first time around, and maybe I I think it was I think he was he was on the three by one or on the three receiver side. I'm this is all spitballing. I could be flipping it, and he was lining up with Kelsey. I don't know, but uh, it, they. There was a lot of space because they were, you know, the they the Chargers were working for depth so much, and then just that little dump down was given. Like I think they hit Shady a couple times in a row. From a defensive perspective, when when you get that running back shifting and making it basically a four by one set, you've got kind of a flow. The defenders flow to that side of the field to try and compensate for the flood that happens there. Clyde is a good enough athlete on that angle, or he can kick out of the backfield and drag across there to the opposite flat if there's enough time and work against the flow of the defense there and find space. Not only you can hit that wheel if everybody, you know, basically floods out of that area, but you can hit the opposite side of the field as well on a drag. It just it opens up everything by having a guy like that that can run those kinds of routes. Well, and the Chiefs already do so much with their slot receivers out of that going across against the grain. Like they're already sending both slot receivers a lot of times across the field in the over. So you can send Clyde, you can just replace them vertically up the field on the seam routes that I talked about or a wheel route. You can send him against the grain too. And now you have 
levels and still you're flooding across the middle of the field. It's like there's so much stuff you can do with it that messes with assignments. And the way teams were playing the Chiefs at the end of last year, either dropping the backside linebacker or the safety to cover those deep overs, essentially trying to trap it over there, that just means one less guy that can go to that four by one side and you put all that space out there for a guy like Clyde in the open space. It's just, it's something I expect to see more because I thought we'd see more of it against the 49ers and it just didn't come to fruition. So I think you'll see it a little bit more this year. A lot of the times when the Chiefs were late motioning their running back, it was to turn it into a four by one. And it's so cool. Yeah. Andy Reid, when he wants you to think, he's going to have you think. And when he wants you to react, he's going to have you react. So even the motions, the nature of their motions, if it's a late, lazy motion where the ball's getting snapped and the running back's bout into the sideline, or if it's just a quick early motion, Andy is timing on motions just like that. When he wants you to think he want you know, he, when he wants you to think he's gonna make you think and when he doesn't want you and he wants you to react he's gonna do it like that's even just the timing of his motions I'm telling you plays an impact in all this so yeah like they'll late motion the running back and all of a sudden they're having to communicate because it's four by one all of a sudden those kind of things I, Darwin Thompson I believe I don't know if it was four by one or three by one or three by two Darwin Thompson late motion screwed up he had a wide open angle route because the linebackers didn't communicate in the AFC Championship game. Pat didn't throw it because he didn't trust him. Now he's going to be trusted. Now he's got someone that he can trust running those routes because Clyde Edwards-Alaire, if he's getting open and getting opportunities like that, he's going to make people pay. Wow, that, that went a while, guys. That we, like, we just dove in on that question. I like God, it. We want football. We desperately want football to be here, you guys. This is what it feels like. This feels very football-ish. This feels like football conversations and we haven't had a chance to do it on this kind of scale in a while because... There's there's football things to talk about. Brilliant speaks. Weight looks good. Like these are things that we can actually react to. Uh, sports talk, Evan. Would a perfect season facing and beating Deshaun Lamar and then Russell Wilson in the Super Bowl while having a perfect passer rating in the Super Bowl be enough to get Patrick Mahomes to number three on the NFL top 100? <laughs> Let me tell you something, brother. <gasps> Patrick Mahomes will never break the top four because they constantly gonna put that chip on his shoulder constantly gonna make it because it makes for good ratings it makes for great ratings they gonna put that chip on that man's shoulder for the rest of his career hollywood hop he came back the man the myth the legend how's your voice feel Hey, yo. Let's go. The real case swag. Seems like we are, the Chiefs are pretty banged up, thin at cornerback right now. Are there any good outside options we could bring in to give the Chiefs some depth? What What is a uh, cornerback? I don't think I've seen one of those associated with the Chiefs in a minute. Um <laughs> I think there's a guy, Aqib Tlaib plays that position. I don't know if we could use that or Tremaine Johnson, maybe. Ross Cockrell's contract kind of fell through, I think, resigning with the Giants. These are all guys that I just, they could step in and they could provide some depth, at least until Bashad Breeland got back. Maybe they could step in and even be a little bit better because some of them are pretty good players at some point in time. I'd be fine with any of them. I think Tremaine Johnson's going to be a little pricey. The other two, though, shouldn't be too expensive. 
Cockrell's had experience with Steve Spagnuolo before. I don't think he's your prototypical outside guy, but he can play it a little bit if he needs to. Aqib Tlaib fits exactly what the Chiefs like to do on the outside if he can still play. So just there's some options out there. I just I really don't think the Chiefs are that interested in investing heavily in outside cornerback because they've had a lot of opportunities to, and they just simply haven't got it done yet. Uh, a space four. I live in Green Bay and have heard nonstop about Darnell Savage being a star at safety. Not sure how much you saw of him, but I'm curious if Juan Thornhill, taken 42 picks later, would be your pick between the two of them after one year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Juan Thornhill fits what the Chiefs are trying to do opposite of Tyron Matthews so much better than Darnell Savage. And Darnell Savage isn't a bad player. Darnell Savage is a great player. We gave him a high fit grade in the 2019 Chiefs draft guide. We also had Juan Thornhill ranked significantly higher than Darnell Savage in the uh, 2019 KC Chiefs draft guide. So we would go with Juan Thornhill. I believe. I, I think that he just allows Tyron Matthew to operate that middle of the field, that underneath zone, a lot better and keeps a lid on everything. We saw him getting up to speed. We saw him growing into the speed of the game, putting his high intelligence on the field, and that was becoming an impact player by the end of the year. Darnell Savage is very good. Juan Thornhill is better. I actually think I had I had a higher grade on Darnell Savage than Juan Thornhill coming back. I believe. I know I had a my guy grade on him. I think he ended up below Thornhill in the draft gap. I had him as a little bit higher grade. And it was for the simple fact that I thought he was a little bit more versatile coming out of college than Juan Thornhill was in terms of where you'd use him. But for the Chiefs, I would take Juan Thornhill 10 out of 10 times. And I think even after a year, even not for the Chiefs, it would be hard for me to think that Juan Thornhill wasn't more consistent, flashed equally as high of an upside, and would be just as good, if not a better player than Darnell Savage. And I still like Darnell Savage. I thought he had a good year, a little banged up. I just thought he was a little bit more up and down than Juan Thornhill, who just got steadily better as the year went on. I think both of them are very good. You can give me either one on my football team and I'm happy. But for the Chiefs specifically, Juan Thornhill makes a ton more sense. He just, Darnell Savage is too close to Tyron Matthew. And not that that's necessarily a bad thing, just you need somebody that's a little bit more natural as a free safety center field kind of roaming the back end role. And I think Juan Thornhill is just perfect for that job. Yeah, no, I think you lose a little bit without Juan Thornhill being on the field and adding Darnell Savage. But I mean, it's not that you don't gain some things too. It's just that I think there is some more versatility and more complimentary football on your in the back end of your defense if it's Juan Thornhill. One thing though, you got to think about, and which which is a pro for Darnell Savage is I believe Darnell Savage went through an entire season without hurting himself, and Juan Thornhill still hasn't practiced yet. That is one thing to keep an eye on there. Um, it's a little bit concerning, frankly. I mean, I I was really hoping that we'd have him back by now. I mean, we're three weeks from, I believe we're a little bit less, a little over three weeks from the start of the season. And there's still, uh, there's still no Juan Thornhill to be seen. Sea Drift 24. Can you talk a little bit about the long-term ramifications of all the extensions that came this year? When will the Chiefs have to start making some really hard choices? You've hit on it now, but with Kelsey extended as well, would just like an update. I, mean, I think there's some differing opinions on this. Like one of our good friends, Chief Bearcat, he has really good cap insight. He's very good at doing all the money stuff, figuring out the numbers, the figures, thinking of ways that things can be changed. He thinks the Chiefs are going to be in a better spot next year than I do. 
I think the Chiefs are going to have to start making tough decisions starting next year in 2021. Like, I think that it does not look pretty from where they stand right now. I think they stand to lose, I think I worked it out, to about six or seven starters and then another four-ish impact players, like guys that played significant real snaps, all in free agency. And you're doing that all while technically over the cap at this point in time. That's scary to me. Like, that's a bad situation to be in. That already lets me think. Next year, not only are they going to have to play it really close to the vest in terms of free agents that they sign, but it's going to be hard to pick and choose which guys come back, which guys don't. You can't realistically replace that many players in just this year's draft and next year's draft and signing street free agents or hoping these guys developed, you know, through one season. I think next year you just start seeing guys get cut or not brought back that you would prefer to come back if you were in a little bit better of a situation. Yeah, that could definitely be the case. I don't know that we see the full ramifications of these extensions just yet because of the way that they're structured. We see a lot of no signing bonuses. We see a lot of ability for the Chiefs to move these contract numbers around in the future. And I said on the Travis Kelsey special that we released on the day that he signed that the way that they've done this, they've left themselves the ability if COVID hits big and 2021's cap is very low. They can restructure a couple of these guys, work it out in a way that makes sense to save the most against the cap next year and push some into future years when the TV deal might hit. If it's bigger than expected, maybe they don't need to move it around. We will see. They may get themselves into a situation where they have to restructure too many guys to account for the cap and work themselves into a way that they can't get out of it easily and they lose a bunch of key contributors and don't have cap space to return them, we're going to see next year because you might see Chris Jones, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes have significant restructures next year, a, a single year after they you know, did, uh, Frank Clark did it this year, but a single year after they signed the contract, you may see them do significant restructures just to save cap space that's the true key as to if these contracts were bad or not. Well, I think some of it depends on how some of these last couple draft classes do too, because if the Chiefs are able to get some of these guys that, you know, some of these day three picks, if they can hit on some corners here this year, if Legereus Sneed, if Bo Peak Keys can show something and one of them stands out, it makes their decision and their process a lot easier because maybe they can continue to not invest a ton of money at the cornerback position. Um, you know, Breland speaks too. I mean, the Chiefs are going to lose a lot of defensive ends this year. It's basically Frank Clark and Mike Dana and Breland speaks like they need, they may need a Mike Dana. They need a Breland speaks to step up and be more than what they've been to this point or what they were drafted at. I mean, if Mike Dana hits that, that's a big help for their roster development. Like these young guys, you know, some of these undrafted free agents that they can, if one of these can stick, all these little things can can go a long way in helping this decision making process be a little bit easier uh, and kick the can down the road a little bit. But it's going to come. There's going to be a couple points where there's going to be some frustration. There is, uh, and, and there's going to be some difficult decisions that they're going to have to make in the next couple years. All right, that is going to do it for the mailbag episode. Thank you so much for your questions. We will be back on Wednesday as usual. We'll catch you later.